Welcome to Harrison Church. Realm is a church ministry tool designed and developed to connect Harrison Church with its members. Connect with and share what's going on at Harrison at any time. Contact your small groups, coordinate group activities, RSVP to church events and meetings, manage your giving, update your contact information, and much more. Click the link in the description of this podcast to sign up for Realm today. Realm will officially launch in mid-February. This week, part four of Pastor Shane's series on Revelation. Here we are again today. Are you ready to go apocalyptic again? All right. Here we go. Um, Now, for our visitors, I'm sorry. Um, I I will say that uh, I've been doing a series, this tour, through the book of Revelation. And we've only got a couple of weeks left. And um, what we've been talking about is that Revelation, it's just a review, um, it really is a, uh, a political resistance letter that John, the writer of it, is writing to seven Christian churches, seven Christian communities, and over and over again, he keeps telling these Christians to resist the Roman imperial ways of thinking, their, their ideology, and by resistance, John doesn't mean attack them, he just means live as the Lamb of God, Jesus, has called you to live. One of the things I said last week is that John really believes that worship, what we're doing now, is, is really an act of resistance. We're not hurting anybody, but we're saying something by just being here. We are gathered to, to declare our loyalty. We're gathered to declare our allegiance to the true King of Kings and to the true Lord of Lords. And, that, and that's what we're here to do. Now, um, last week I told you that John does two things in this letter to the Christians he's writing, and by extension to us. He is writing them a, a, a word of encouragement. And he's writing them a word of warning. Now, the encouragement we looked at last week, all these visions of worship, right? You see the saints gathering around the throne of God, the Lamb in heaven, the martyrs who kept the faith, who maintained their loyalty to Christ. And he is saying to the Christians, look, if you can maintain your allegiance to Jesus, if you can resist the Roman imperial ideologies, their way of doing things, you will be counted worthy to share in the glory of the saints, right? The white-robed martyrs who were killed in those days for their faith. So, wow, I mean, that's heavy. But then John jumps from encouragement to the warnings. And what he's going to be saying in the words of warning, if you've read the letter, is, is look, if you, if you accommodate, though, if you try to have the best of both worlds, the way of the Lamb and the way of Caesar, then you might actually share in the judgment God is going to do. God is going to enact on the imperial system. And so today, we're going to be looking at the, the warning for the next couple of weeks. And it's kind of a downer. Uh, but for John, it's, it's important. He kind of would want us to be a little shocked to our senses, so to speak. Um, I preached this at 830, and i got to tell you, <laughs> I hope they're okay because I, I think it felt like they were in a batting cage. I mean, I was just leveling one fastball after another. It really is a sermon that lends itself to two. Let me just be honest, but because of scheduling, it really wouldn't happen. Just know that if you've got questions, you can email me. Uh, if you need to watch this again or hear it again, you know, go online to our website. You can listen to the sermon there. But I'm going to be throwing a lot of material at us, but we've got to look at the warning. And, of course, I had to make decisions on what to include what not to include. So there's a lot of material that had to, uh, that's on the cutting floor. Again, if you've got questions about those, man, I'd love to have a conversation with you. So let's look at some of the warnings. It's kind of dark, but let's go there. Because we know at the end, all's well that ends well, right? The, the, the letter ends well. 
But right now, let's go through the dark. If you uh, get to the middle section of Revelation, if you've ever read it, you will know that about chapter 8, John sees visions of angels, and they're all blowing trumpets. And then after, the, after each trumpet blast, there are like bowls of wrath poured out upon uh, the world. Now, that's in chapter 8. Now, if you go to chapter 8, what John does is, and I think I've got just the key words that are in that section. What you see there, the, the bowls of wrath, what they include uh, would be things like hail mixed with fire. Do we have that slide? Hail mixed with fire. Uh, there's waters becoming bitter. Uh, there is a locusts kind of infesting the world. Uh, there is a darkness that, that covers the, the, the earth. Um, I've got that actually in the insert if you have that. I don't see it's on the, on the, on the, the screen here. But you'll notice uh, I've listed out all of the bowls of wrath. Do you see that? He does the same thing in chapter 16. He sees the same series of judgments. He sees thunder. He sees hail, fire, sea turning into blood. He sees darkness. But instead of uh, uh, locusts, he sees frogs infesting. He sees ulcers, sores uh, tackling people. He sees burning heat. And if you take that literally, uh, once again, you're going to go off the deep end. Now, one of the things that we have to remember is, is that John is a thoroughly Jewish writer. He is immersed in the Jewish scriptures, what we would call the Old Testament. John, in this letter, you have to read it carefully, he makes more than 500 references to stories in the Old Testament. 500. So wait a minute, let's think about this. John's thoroughly Jewish. He appeals to the Jewish scriptures. What story in the Bible, the Old Testament, do you get hail mixed with fire, waters turning to blood, darkness covering the earth, ulcers, frogs, sea into blood, thunder and hail? The Exodus story. The plague stories of Egypt. That's all this is. John is scooping images out of the Old Testament But what he's doing with this image in the Old Testament is he's amplifying it. He's turning up the volume. And he's doing this for rhetorical effect. If you were here the first Sunday, one of the things we do know is that John intended this letter to be heard where? In worship. He wanted somebody to read the image out loud and for you to hear them. And he's using this wild image to get in your skull. So that's all that's going on. Now, um, the question we have to ask is... If we go to the Exodus story, the plagues of Egypt, why did God send the plagues on the empire of Egypt? Right, let my people go. In other words, God smote, I love that word, smote. God smote Pharaoh and his empire because of their system of oppression. It was a system of cheap labor. And, of course, the people of God were enslaved. And they were the ones who were building Pharaoh's empire. And not just the system of oppression. God wanted God's people to be loyal to the true God and not to Pharaoh. Because God says, I want the slaves to be released so they can worship me. So they can be loyal to me. And all John is doing here, he's using the same frame of reference. Just as God judged the Egyptian empire... Because of their system of oppression, and we'll get into more of that next week when he really spells that out, 
who caused God's people to be loyal to a false god, Pharaoh. So John is saying God is doing the same thing to the Roman system. He's doing the same thing to the Roman system. He's judging the empire. So when you read the bowls of wrath, think Egypt, okay? Don't get caught up into the literal. I'm, I'm telling you, you will, you will just jump out of a window if you take all of that literally. But if you, make, if you remember, he's alluding to other stories of the Scripture, it will begin to make sense. Now, one thing that I want to uh, make clear is the purpose of all of these bowls of wrath, dark stuff. Well, what were, the, what were the purposes of the plagues of Egypt? Well, if you read the story, God sends the plague really for one reason. He's trying to get Pharaoh and his empire to come to its senses. Wake up. Things are going wrong. Stop pretending that they're going right. Wake up. Repent. Make a change. Release my people. And, of course, did Pharaoh repent? No. The people of Egypt did not repent. Now, you could say, well, didn't it say God Pharaoh, hardened Pharaoh's heart? Yes, but there are other opportunities where Moses says, you have a choice right now. And, and, and Pharaoh didn't. So what are the purposes of the plagues that you'll come across in uh, Revelation? Well, it's the same thing. In chapter 9, verse 20, uh, I've got that in your insert. Maybe you have it here. Then here. Here's something that's interesting. The rest of humankind, this is during the plague scenes that John sees. The rest of humankind who were not killed by the plagues... Read that for me. Did not repent of the works of their hands and so on and so forth. So even the plagues in Revelation are meant, in John's mind, to cause the people, to cause the imperial system and its operatives, come to your senses. Wake up. Repent. Make a change. But John, of course, is pessimistic that anybody in the imperial system is going to make a change any more than Pharaoh did. Okay? Are you following me there right now? All right, so that's that. Now, we're going to have to skip over now. Here, come, uh, here comes the next fastball in the batting cage. Uh, let's skip over to chapter 13, and we're going to look at verse 1, because I think these are, this is a really important chapter. Uh, in chapter 13, verse 1, here, John, John sees something. He says, And I saw a beast rising out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads, And on its horns were ten diadems, and on its head were blasphemous names. Now, John goes on to say, just a little bit later, that uh, that he saw it was like a leopard in verse 2. Its feet were like a bear's. Uh, Its mouth was like a lion's mouth. Again, you take that literally, you're going off the deep end. Now, John loves to scoop from stories in his Bible in the Old Testament. Now, uh, over the week, if you get my emails per week, I ask you to do some homework. And I ask you to read from Daniel, the book of Daniel, chapter 7. Anybody do this? Nobody did. Okay, well, I'm going to explain this to you. I feel like a high school teacher now. Uh, Here's your assignment. Oh, I'm sorry, the dog ate it. Um, So John's writing an apocalyptic letter, and he is borrowing image from the only apocalyptic book that we have in our Bibles, and that's Daniel chapter 7. And Daniel sees images of beasts like leopards, like bears, like lions. I'm resisting the Wizard of Oz thing, you know what I mean? And, And then Daniel is confused by what do these beasts mean, and then an angel says the beasts, each of the beasts represent kings, emperors, and their kingdoms. So let's now skip over to verse, uh, chapter 13, verse 1. John sees a beast. It's coming up out of the sea the way Daniel's beasts came out of the sea. 
Daniel's beast referred to imperial kings. Who do you think John is referring to here? Which imperial king do you think he's referring to as a beast? Caesar. And Caesar's kingdom. So all of the Roman Empire. So that's all that is. And I've seen comic artists like literally draw this, that we're going to see some creature coming out of the Mediterranean one day. Why? But we're missing the imagery. Now, one of the things that John does over and over in his book is he, he is trying to get into your head. He's trying to, to capture your imagination so that you will see things differently. So you'll leave the, the space of worship and this image, all this imagery will be here. You'll be called up in it. And one of the things that we have to understand is what John is doing here by calling the Roman emperor a beast and why he's calling the Roman system a beast. Because in those days, the Roman emperor, and really the whole Roman empire, presented itself as a peacekeeping nation. We are a righteous people. We are a good people. We are a people who are dedicated to justice throughout the world. But what John's doing here is he's cutting through all of that imagery and he's saying, that's a lie. That's a lie. They're not peacekeepers. They're beasts. They're monsters. They are, they, they are oppressors is what they are. So John is getting the Christians to understand he is reading the Roman system from those who are oppressed by it. There's a big difference between those who are the victors and those who are the victims. You know, if I were to ask you to write American history based on the, uh, the, the perspective of the slaves and the Native Americans, do you think it would read differently? It would read differently. And so we are reading history from those on the bottom. It's a beast. It's an oppressor. John really underscores the point in verse 2. Look at the second half of verse 2. He is saying about the beast, which we have already said is the emperor and the empire, and the dragon gave it, the beast, his power and his throne and his great authority. Who in the world is the dragon? Well, you only pick that up if you go to chapter 12, and that's on the other side. We're not going to be able to look at all of that. Uh, if you read chapter 12, John paints this parable. He, he imagines there is a dragon who is pursuing a woman. And think of it this way, a reptile, reptilian monster, chasing a woman. She's pregnant, uh, and, and the dragon is pr- trying to murder the child to whom she's giving birth. Uh, the, the child is born by the woman. The, the child escapes, but the woman's offspring are attacked over and over and over against the dragon. Now, some people read this as, oh, it's about the birth of Jesus, and the woman must represent who? Mary. Well, maybe, but think about it. John's Jewish. What Old Testament story can you think of where there is a reptile and a woman? Genesis, the serpent and Eve. The point of it, though, if you read chapter 12, because it can throw you, is that John is telling, telling this parable that to be a part of the people of God is to really suffer the attacks of evil and the forces of evil, persecutions. Of course, we know this is the history of Israel. And this was certainly the history of the early church. But here's what I want us to look at. In verse 9 of chapter 12, and he, he gets the identity of who this dragon is. The great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil. And Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. Now with that lovely image, 
Go back to chapter 13. And the dragon, who's the dragon? Gave it, who's the beast? Satan has given the emperor his power and his throne and his great authority. Do you see what John's doing there? Remember how I told you that John is a radical and he is an extremist? John is saying that the entire Roman government system is a puppet of the devil himself. And that the emperor is nothing more than a puppet of a Satan. You know, there's anti-government and then there's John. Uh... And now we begin to see why John is telling his Christians to resist the ways of the imperial system. Why? Because to accommodate it, you are dancing with the devil. All the power you see on display is from the devil himself. John then says this. That's radical, isn't it? I mean, just think about that. Satan. Uh, In verse 3, John says of the beast, one of its heads seemed to have received a death blow, but its its, uh, mortal wound had been healed. (laughs) Okay. Uh, You can actually go Google this. Uh, But in the uh, first century, this is about the time John's writing, so about the year 100, um, the Roman emperor Nero was in power in about the year 50 to 60. Roman, I mean, Nero was a horror. I mean, he was just... He was a terribly oppressive emperor. Of course, did he present himself that way? Oh, no, 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 no. But Nero was murdered in about the year 60. And there was a myth that began to circulate according to which Nero is not really dead. And if he is, he's going to come back to life. And he's going to come back to life in another form, and then he's going to really wreak havoc on the earth. So what John's doing here... You can go Google this. What John is doing here is he's playing on the paranoia that this evil emperor is not really dead. And if it has been murdered, it's coming back. See, it's very clear what John's referring to. And that, this image that Nero was coming back, is exactly why people seem to be so amazed with the power of the Roman imperial system. Look in verse 4. All the people were in amazement. The whole earth followed the beast. They worshipped the dragon. They worshipped Satan, right? For he had given his authority to the beast, the emperor, and they worshipped the beast, saying, "Who, who, who's like the beast and who can fight against it? Now, I want you to kind of circle the word worship. Uh, I think this might be helpful. We, we kind of think that worship means like what we're doing now, singing praises and all this stuff. Eh, not exactly. Put loyalty instead of worship. They, they were loyal to the dragon. They were, they were allegiant to the dragon. They were, they were loyal to the beast. And, and the reason they were is because they, they had this idea that the Roman Empire was just too powerful to be stopped. And John is saying to the Christians, resist that. It's not true. There's no power that's invincible except one. The power of the Lamb. All right, in verse 5, another fastball. Uh, The beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to other blasphemies against God. He's repeating himself. Blasphemies. Now, we know, as I've said the last three weeks, that the Roman emperor said things about himself like, I am the divine son of God. 
I am born of God. I am the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Um, it was a practice in those days to worship the birthday of Caesar. Isn't it funny what Christmas is? We worship the birthday of whom? Yeah. Well, John is saying that's blasphemy. Nobody should ever claim for himself any kind of divinity at all. Only, the only thing that is divine is the Lamb and his God. And then in verse 7, the beast was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. Okay. How do we know, according to John, how that Rome is really a beast? It kills the innocent. It slaughters the innocent people, even the saints, in the name of peace. John would say any power that kills the innocent, the promotion of peace, is beastly. He's getting into your skull. See what's happening? He's getting in here. He's getting in here. Woo! Yeah, all right, let's move on. I mean, tough stuff here. Really heavy stuff. Well, then I will, I will mention in verse 10, uh, he ends it by saying, here's a call in verse 10, that last line. Here's a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. You see that? Oh, man. Again, resist, guys. This is going to be hard. But if you persevere, you will be counted worthy to worship the Lamb. Okay. Uh, just a few more things uh, left to go. Uh, in verse 11, John sees another beast that rose out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb. And it spoke like a dragon. Okay, so this is important. This is a person who talks. This is a speaker. This is a messenger. Now, it is kind of interesting. I'll just give this like as a footnote. Some people say you got a dragon, and then you got its beast, and then you got the other beast. That what we have here is like in John's writing, an anti-trinity. You know, you have the trinity of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but now here we have the dragon, the beast, and the second beast. That's interesting. But anyway, so it looks like a lamb, very innocent. It speaks like a dragon. This is a, a kind of a reminder of what Jesus says. Beware of those who come, well, uh, who come like wolves in sheep's clothing. These are messengers here. Here's what he says. He says that this other beast exercises all the authority of the first beast on its behalf. And it makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound had been healed. So we know that this second beast John's referring to has authority like this Caesar. It's an operative of Caesar. But its primary job is to get people to be loyal to Caesar through his words. Let me just cut to the chase. What we have here is what we can say um, is a minister of propaganda. A minister of propaganda. Let me tell you something. It is true of every empire that has ever existed. Every power always has its propagandists. By which I mean those who are hired to distort the facts, to say something different. This is true. This is not controversial. This is, this is true of any, any time to do this. Now, uh, John will later identify this beast as the false prophet. 
And a prophet uh, is someone who has a religious role, right? So this is a religious person. And if you read your Roman history, um, this religious person would be a part of what we call the imperial cult. It was the job of Caesar's religious figures, their Caesar's priest, to kind of go around the empire to kind of say, hey, hey, you know, uh, Caesar is, is uh, divine, uh, his rule is of God, and his policies are all of the will of God for you. Therefore, you should be loyal because it's the will of God. Now, what's interesting is that even in the Bible, you find imperial powers who are surrounded by priests. Pharaoh had his priests. King Herod, think about the wise men's story. Who were the first people the wise men encountered, or who did Herod call on when the wise men came? The priests, the prophets, the scribes, even the kings of Israel had hired prophets. And Jeremiah and the other biblical prophets always did battle against them and saying, hey, what they're telling you is not right, these, these royal prophets. Because what the royal prophets always tell you is that whatever's happening is of God. And if they tell you that, then you, you, they're trying to get you to be loyal to it. Is, are you following me on that? Yeah, I mean, so that's what's going on. In the Bible, there is false prophets and there are true prophets. John later on says that this beast is a false prophet. What's the difference between a false prophet and a true one? Here's the, here it is. A true prophet in the Bible always speaks truth to power. A false prophet always speaks on behalf of those in power. A true prophet in the name of God criticizes, calls out. A false prophet justifies. Do you see the difference? Here's the point I want to make. I think John would say to us even today, excuse me, beware of any religious figure who claims to speak for God and who is close to power. Beware of those religious defenders of the king. All right, let's go on to a couple less things and then we're going to be, uh, we'll be finished. Uh, look uh, very quickly at uh, verse 16. So this uh, second prophet, he is the messenger. He is the religious messenger. He speaks on behalf of the king to get everybody to be loyal. And then in verse 16, John says that this second beast, the propagandist, uh, gets everyone to be marked on the right hand or on the forehead so that nobody can buy or sell who does not have the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. And everyone has gone crazy ever since. The mark of the beast. Now, what uh, I don't have in here is that uh, John actually sees two people who are marked. There are those who are marked who bear the mark of the beast on their foreheads, and then there are those who bear the mark of God on their foreheads. Uh, Think about this. What do you think John's referring to? What do we do in the church to mark you, to seal you with the Holy Spirit on your forehead? Baptism. 
right? So in Revelation, you will see those who are sealed and marked by God on their foreheads. And of course, John's Jewish. Have you ever heard of a phylactery? You ever seen Jewish rabbis or have like God's word on their forehead? So again, you know, John's appealing to that, that, uh, that symbol. But anyway, maybe you have seen people who uh, have interpreted this literally. And I think I've got a picture. They, they imagine that the mark of the beast one day will be stamped with a UPC symbol on our forehead. So we can't buy or sell. <laughs> no. Um, what, what do we need even today to buy or sell? You've got to have money. Let's look at the next image. There's your mark of the beast, everybody. Roman coinage. Now, what we can't read is the Latin in this. Um, that is from the emperor Domitian about the year 100, and John wrote about the year 100. The inscription reads, the divine Caesar, the son of the emperor. And what John is actually telling the Christians is, I mean, think about how radical this is. Don't even have anything to do with that currency. Because that's a part of Rome spreading its propaganda throughout the world. And I really do think John is encouraging the Christians here that you, you can't even have the Roman currency in your pockets. It is an interesting question. Why do we always insist, many nations throughout history, why do we have to have a reference to the divine on our money? Funny, isn't it? Something to think about. But that is what we think is, is the mark of the beast, the divine Caesar. You can't buy or sell without it. And John says, don't carry it. All right, last thing in verse 18. Here's another one. I know I'm going a little bit longer today, but I wanted to, to share this with you. Uh, verse 18, uh, John says, This calls for wisdom. Let anyone with understanding calculate the number of the beast. And who's the beast? All right. For it is the number of a person. Its number is 666, and everybody has feared those three digits ever since. When I first came to Harrison Church, I got a phone. And uh, when they gave me my new number, true story, it was like 980-2-something-something-4666. And I said, you know, I'm new to Harrison. I do not want people to call me on that number. <laughs> true story. And, and they changed it. All right, uh, with a little bit of time we have, um, what, what, what is going on here? Well, he tells us that he's referring to a human being. Now, have any of you ever heard of uh, Roman numerals? Well, we know that the Roman numerals are numbers. What are they? They're letters. So like the letter I is one. The uh, two I's is, okay, so in the ancient world, the alphabet had a numerical value. Long story short, if you take the Greek of a particular title, I don't know if we have the slide for it, but it is on the back of your bulletin if you have one in the sermon notes uh, section. If you take the Greek of Neron Kaiser, Caesar Nero, and you add up the alphabetical numerals, guess what number you get to? Six, six, six. Coincidence? I think not. There's your mark of the beast. I mean, there's your number. It's the emperor. So if you ever get a check or something and there's six, six, don't panic. Don't panic. Well, uh, I'm going to call the musicians forward now as we uh, end our worship time. I know I threw a lot of information at you. Fascinating stuff. Um, one of the things that I have ended our time with is, is some reflection questions, and I'm just going to ask you a couple as we end our time based on my study of John, and he's making me crazy, y'all. Um, but I think John would want us to reflect on this. Here's one. How do you interpret official history? Do you read history from the perspective of the winners? Or from the losers? 
Where do you get your sources of truth? To what voices do you turn for understanding current events? And, you know, I really would think that John would kind of say media, like, is important, is powerful stuff. Like, what are we listening to? Do these voices that you listen to, do they urge you to walk the way of Christ, to walk the way of truth and love and mercy? Or do your sources of truth prey on your fears, make you angry? Here's one. Finally, do these messengers that you listen to who claim to speak for God especially, do they speak truth to power or do they justify the power for the sake of national interest? John believes, guys, that there is really a battle going on for your imagination. It's happening. And it's very critical we know who we're listening to and who we're not listening to. Resist. Follow the way of of gentleness, the way of truth, the way of love. And strike a counterculture to the ways of empire. Let us stand. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Join us next week for part five of Pastor Shane's series on Revelation. As always, for more information regarding Harrison Church and the events going on, or ways to get involved, you can visit us online at harrisonchurch.org.